Each week we've been looking at what it means to converse in the middle of some really polarizing times and also to have healthy dialogue in situations and conversations in which often make us feel awkward or like we need to war for the right answer. There are a lot of hard conversations that are happening. We've named some in this series. In the first week, we talked about the Judge Kavanaugh, and there's lots of things that, that seem to be happening every day as we turn on the news that continue to polarize us. And to be truthful, many of us enjoy that polarization. We love watching our favorite news station banter with another news station. Because we do not often know how to healthily engage in hard conversations, we often find ourselves becoming polarized and experiencing polarization in hard conversations. And as a result, we, we experience division. We experience rivalry. And, and we find ourselves at odds with family, with neighbors, with friends, as well as even brothers and sisters in the church. Sometimes we almost fear the fallout of these hard conversations. You know, like, oh, we, if, we, if we talk about that in a church, I mean, you know what's going to happen. Right? So we try to avoid hard conversations sometimes altogether. Like, you know what? It's just better if we don't talk about it. We'll be more unified if we just let that thing completely go. Or then what we try to do sometimes compartmentalize our thoughts. Anybody in here a self-identified compartmentalizer? Right? Do you know what compartmentalization is? It's where you just decide, you know what? No one cares about my opinion, or my opinion is so different. Or maybe it's like, you know what? I don't have the guts to share my opinion. So what I'm going to do is kind of put it in this little thing in my head and close it. That's not healthy. Or sometimes because we fear the fallout of hard conversations, we then try to debate with people uh, rather than hear them. Because we know that we have the right way, and so we think rightly, and we need to help them think rightly. And then what happens then when they don't think rightly is either we demean them or back ourselves into a corner where we just realize that we can't identify with them anymore. Sometimes because we avoid hard conversations, we try to pursue unity by living in churches that are echo chambers of people who just are like us. They think like us, they act like us, they smell like us. And to be fair, we think we're unified because what we're doing is hanging out with a whole bunch of us. Also because we avoid hard conversations, sometimes we think that unity means that we have to think exactly like each other. We think that to be unified means that every one of us needs to have the same answer to every conversation and to every question that happens. However, the reality is that the church is called to honor each other in hard conversations for the sake of unity, not become a community of united thought. We are called to honor each other for the sake of unity, not become a community of unified thought. We are called to engage hard conversations, those things we're scared to talk about, to be unified with how the Holy Spirit will lead us through those times. Now, being on the opposite ends of things is not actually always bad. 
If you've been watching baseball this week, one of the greatest rivalries of all time has took place. These two polarized ends, the Boston Red Sox and the New York Mets. I mean, the New York Yankees. And right, they have been battling in the American League playoffs to see who will continue and go on to the World Series. As a Philadelphia Phillies fan, I enjoy when the Mets come to town because that is our arch enemies, right? And there's this tension, this fun entertainment that happens when the opposing team that you have the most beef with shows up in your territory. This kind of opposite brings kind of spectrum fun and and, and healthy entertainment. Sometimes polarizations in the church also help us see things that we never thought was possible. If you're familiar with the spiritual practice or the Bible reading practice of Lecto Divina, which means the divine reading, what you do is you pick a scripture, and let's say we were all doing this right now, we'd say, okay, we're going to look at 1 John 1, and we're going to read it, and I want you to pay attention to what stands out to you. And then I'm going to read it again, and stick out to me what emotion sticks out to you. And then, you know, what character do you identify with, and where do you feel God inviting you in this text? And as we would work through that, Each one of us would have a chance to share then. And you know what would happen? Each one of us would see that passage from a completely different angle. Each one of us would feel a different invitation from the Scripture. And guess what? That's the amazing part of doing stuff like that. Because we're so opposite and polarized that when we attack something like that together and deal with it together, we hear God's heart and we get glimpses of God that we wouldn't have thought of ourselves. In fact, we recently did this on a leadership resourcing day. We looked at 1 Samuel 3, and as we sat there, 10 of us reading this passage, the stuff people shared, right, isn't necessarily what I would have gotten out of the passage. And all of a sudden, I'm like, yeah, you're right. Like, in your difference, you have really brought something that I wouldn't have seen. Another thing that I think is helpful is to to meet with other people that think differently than you. And so because I don't want to ever be afraid of hard conversations or just get stuck in my own train of thought, I meet regularly with Bishop Keith, with my friend Rip, who's a pastor, and our pastoral leadership team, which is Dan and Grace. And, And I say to them, like, hey, here's some hard conversations that I'm dealing with. Here's some hard situations. You know, I I don't want to just rely on my own understanding. And so then what I do is take what Keith told me, what Rip told me, what pastoral leadership team takes, and I say, okay, now I have many different angles, and it helps me discern a way forward. We can see things in a new light, in a different way than another person. And so having those polarized ends in the church is not unhealthy. It's actually very healthy. However, we often do not approach hard conversations with the idea of actually wanting to hear their viewpoint. We actually, a lot of times, do not approach hard conversations, the things we're wrestling with or the things that are in the news, with this idea that we want to honor somebody else in the midst of it, because all we have is our need to be right. And, and often, we also don't enter hard conversations with this desire to actually be surrendered to finding an answer together. We just want everyone to be like us. Folks, we need to engage church community in a way that we say it's about honoring those different than us. It's okay to hear another viewpoint. And in all honesty, uh, we need to arrive together both surrendered so that we're not 
teaching people how we feel about this hard conversation. We're listening together to see what the Holy Spirit says about this hard conversation. We bring often too much of our pride, our need to be right, and our hammer of unity. And when somebody doesn't live up to that expectation, we either talk about them behind their back, we don't wrestle with it well, or we find ourselves leaving. You know what? I like being part of your church, a small group, but I don't want to be part of your church because I think differently than everyone there. This is the mentality we've been okay with in the church. However, we do not approach hard conversations rightly in the church. We need to learn a healthier posture. We need to know how to not just have right answers, but how to have right conversations. So for the past few weeks, we've been working on making affirmations. Week one, we affirmed that while God has all of the truth, we know that he's all-knowing. We realize that our interpretation is through our brokenness. It's through our own lens. And, and last week we looked at why it is important to be right. And it is important to be right. It is just as important, not more important, not less important, as important to be loving. This week, as we talk about what posture we need in the middle of hard conversations, we're going to realize this affirmation. That the Holy Spirit can make unity possible where it has seemed impossible in the past. As we move through this series, I encourage you to pick one of these, bolt, uh, these resource booklets up that are in the lobby. I think it's just a great way to uh, kind of still chew on some of these concepts throughout the week. And the vision behind our Hard Conversation series is this. That our Sunday morning series is to learn to how to reflect Jesus to one another, and to those outside of our church, even as we face the hard conversations of our times. The past few weeks we've been looking at 1 Corinthians 1-13, through 13, and it's really this passage in which Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and he's telling them, hey guys, like in all honesty, I see that you're in the middle of some really tough stuff, and I'm going to give you kind of the concepts or the posture of what you need to live into so that you can still be in community with each other. And we've been looking at that and unpacking that This morning, we're actually going to look at a completely different text. We're going to look at Acts 15, and we're going to read verses 5 through 14, and then 19 through 32. And I know it's a bit more scripture than we normally read on a Sunday morning, but trust me, this is a great story. In fact, it might be like the first real church conflict of the early church. This story is full of tension and conflict that was happening between the Jews and the Gentiles, these insiders and the outsiders, the people that everyone was like and the people that was like nobody else. And this was not just some theological conflict. It wasn't that the Gentiles were living in a way that didn't declare Jesus. They found themselves wrestling with what was really at the heart of who they believed they were. It felt like an attack on their identity. At the heart of this hard conversation, we see that the Gentiles and their presence, these outsiders showing up in the church, began to cause a challenge to the traditions, to the values. Now listen again. The outsiders came in and they challenged the traditions, the values, and the identities of the Jews. Maybe some of us can relate to that this morning. The things that we think are our identity feel challenged to us. But what happens is that when we listen to the Holy Spirit, we're going to find out those things really were never identity. If they were, then you need to really ask yourself, what does it mean to be a child of God? 
especially the Jews, had to learn to read the gospel in a way that wasn't through their lens and their experience. They had to learn to read the gospel without themselves at the center. The hard conversation they were facing challenges the way that they understood even the good news of Jesus. This is why we must be careful to never approach a hard conversation with pride, with ourselves at the center. We must be careful when we attack each other in a hard conversation because of the way we disagree, because of any reason other than theology. So often the division in the church isn't because we think somebody isn't living the truth of Jesus. It's because we don't like that they got rid of the pews, that they painted the lobby gray, or they're living or dressing in a way that makes us uncomfortable, and that has nothing to do with Jesus. This hard conversation, which we are going to see, is much like the hard conversations of our time. Both sides have deeply dug in their heels, and as a result, the church community has been split right down the middle. Right? Ironically, I'm standing in a split. We could have fun with that. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up. Now just remember there, the Pharisees are not followers of Jesus. These are, these are Jewish teachers who are influencing the inside of the church. Stood up and said that Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So the apostles and elders meet together to consider the question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving to them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? Now, I love this thing because so often in church communities, what do we do? We look backwards, right? Because backwards is always the glory years. One of my favorite stories, songs is Bruce Springsteen's Glory Days. It's about this guy who kind of moved away from his hometown. He shows up in his hometown, moves in, starts seeing everyone that he went to high school with. And they sit around and they talk about the glory days. That's what we do so often in the church, right? We just talk about how good things were back then. But what we do when we do that is realize that the lens of backwards wasn't as great as we like to pretend it was. Things were never as glorious. Things were never as helpful. So here we see Paul and the leaders telling them, guys, you're making people follow loops that you couldn't even follow. I mean, you're, you're trying to make people follow traditions that we didn't even like following. No, he says, we believe it's through the grace of the Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, brothers and sisters, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not try to make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. 
Instead, we should write them telling them to, you know, just avoid food that is polluted by idols from sexual immorality and from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city, guys. It's everywhere. It's still happening there. From the earliest times, and it's read every day on the synagogues on Sabbath. And then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose one of their own men, some of their own men, and send them physically right to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Now just think for a minute, what debates are happening in the church today? How much like the world do we need to be? How much like the world should we not be? Right? What does the issue of this mean for us? Often these things are personal convictions. There are pews, there are songs, there are memories, there are dress, they're the way that we uphold things that we think are at the core of who we are and really aren't. What matters first, you'll see, is others. So they choose Judas, this guy called Barnabas, Barsabas, and Silas, right? I mean, if Judas isn't a bad enough name, Barsabas is a horrible name too, right? Men who were leaders among the believers, and with them they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia, greetings. Greetings. We have heard that some of uh, went out without us. In other words, we've heard the churches talking. They don't represent us as leaders. Without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. Trust me, at 50, if you're telling me, like, i got to go back and get circumcised, my mind is troubled. That's what they're saying. So we all agree to choose men and send them with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, right? Men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord of Jesus Christ. And therefore, we are sending Judas, or Barsabas, and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. We're not just giving you a letting of encouragement. We're sending people. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So, and then their letter says, right, farewell. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. And the people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. That's a powerful story. I love this story in Acts 15. Right? At the core of it, there wasn't question about the authority of Jesus. That's something that should be upheld in the church, right? Like if somebody teaches differently on what it means to be a Christian or to accept Jesus in our hearts or what it means to see that Jesus is the only way, those are the things that we hold up as core values and need to protect. But what they were wrestling with is really around traditions, around values, Things that they had made of the identity of their, their uh, Jewish belief. For them, it felt like losing who they were. They wanted others to change, to be more like them, so that they didn't feel like they were losing. They wanted others to change so that they could feel like they were more comfortable with them. However, because their hearts were God-honoring first, so even though they had all these preferences, even though that was there, they were God-honoring first, and they sought the Holy Spirit second. What we see happen is something magnificent. The Holy Spirit 
gives a way forward that brings them all together. In the midst of this hard conversation the church is wrestling with, we see the community's up in arms, mostly because they have listened to outside influences like the Pharisees. We see that apostles and elders, the leaders of the church, begin to meet together to uh, not avoid this hard conversation, but to model for the church what it means to address a hard conversation. Peter, the pastoral leader of this community, kind of takes to the stage and announces the discernment of how they're going to deal with this issue. Then Peter reminds them of God's heart and the purpose of Jesus. He reminds them that Jesus not only made a way through Peter, a Jew, for the outsider, but it was always his intent to be for the outsider. Then it reminds them of the glory years in which they wanted and to return to wasn't so glorious and they weren't even able to live by them and now they're trying to uphold other people to live by them. Peter then reminds them of the way God's Spirit also has worked through the Holy through the Gentiles, right? Like, guys, we're there and like people are like speaking in tongues and like, you know, people are falling down and getting healed. Like, that's proof that God's moving there. They don't need to do all this stuff. He's already there. So then these people hearing their discernment said, you know what? Peter's put a good vision before us. How am I going to respond to that vision? How am I going to buy in? How am I going to respond to it? And so what happens is the community writes down a few things in which they are not going to bend on. Right? Hey, you guys got the authority of Jesus peace down, but you also need to stay away from eating bloody meat. And guys, you guys that like to eat your steak with uh, blood still running out of it, Katie's uncle's kind of like that. That's just... It's biblical. Don't eat it like that, right? Uh, so, you know, <laughs> stay clean sexually, right? And he gives them these few things that he tells them we're not going to change on. So then they decide to write a letter, not only with those three things in it, but also just an encouragement. How can we bless these people we've been at odds with? These people that seem like they're on the polarized end of the conversation. And what do you notice about that letter? There's no but in it, right? We're so famous for doing this. We love you and your heart, comma, but. And then we argue for our rightness. There's no but there. Hey, guys, we love you. We're not changing on this. This is the teaching. Bam. We want to be a blessing to you so much that we even sent, you know, Barsabas and Paul and all these fun people, right? Silas, I mean. They also, in this letter, do more than they realize. They communicate those outsiders are more important than their comforts. They communicate they want to listen to the Holy Spirit more than what makes them happy. They also communicate that they want to learn a better way with the Holy Spirit moving forward rather than just rediscovering the glory years. These are important postures for us to take in as a church. Acts 15 shows us when a community, a church community is gathered and a hard conversation shows up, how to give yourself in surrender. And what we see is if both sides, which were the insiders, the Jews, the outsiders, the Gentiles, were both surrendered to God and the Holy Spirit first, the Holy Spirit will make a way possible where we've seen it impossible before. So there are a few notes that I want us to take away. And on the back side of your bulletin, you'll see five places to kind of follow along with me and fill it in as we move forward. First, a community is rarely without challenging situations and tensions. 
Last week we saw how hard conversations happened in the church of Corinth. It also happened here. Guys, that should fill us with a reality. Yeah, it's scary there's hard tensions, but it should also give us a hope that there is hard conversations then. There will be hard conversations after us. Community is rarely without them. So stop thinking that differences and tensions are a cause of concern. Tensions, because of a hard conversation, are a cause of life, not concern. Don't fear them. Don't run away from them. Don't avoid them. Don't run away when people don't think like you. Don't think that they aren't healthy. Hard conversations are not a cause of concern in the church community. Rather, the way that we posture ourselves or handle those hard conversations is usually where the problem or the cause of concern is. Hard conversations are not the concern. The way we handle them is the concern. It's why when the neighborhood looks at us and the way we engage on Facebook, the way our, our news stations uh, talk and banter with each other, that they see us as hypocritical. Because we actually don't know how to have a conversation, so we know how to argue. Right? Turn on WDAC. They love to have debates. You turn on Fox News. Yes, I'm stepping on your toes. They love to have debates. These things are the polarizing problems. Not the hard conversations. It's the attitude in which we bring. A community is rarely without challenging situations and tensions. Secondly, acting out of preference will bring, never bring resolve or reconciliation. Now, in this split between the Jews and the Gentiles, the outsiders and the insiders, as long as they kept fighting about their preference, they were going to get nowhere. They were not going to get anywhere. Hard conversations are not solved by making people think like us. They're not made by making people think like us. Hard conversations are solved by putting others first, by both of us surrendering ourselves to honor each other and to seek together the discernment of the Holy Spirit. And, and then buying into that discernment. We saw that, right? Peter stood up. He's like, guys, this is what was discerned. And bam. And they're like, hey, let's write a letter and actually send people. And Peter's probably like, yeah, they got it, right? Like, so as long as we act out of preference... Resolve and reconciliation will never take place. None of us are ever going to be happy in church sometimes. In fact, what can happen, and I've seen it with some people, is that we decide that we're not happy, and so we move to another church community, and we're not happy there, and then we move to another church community, and eventually we keep getting into smaller and smaller churches that are full on health until we finally think we've landed in a church that's just like us because it's like a whopping 30 people on a Sunday morning, and we're like, hey, that feels really good. And then what happens? You realize that even in that midst, there are people not like you, and you get up to a place where you just have to move on, and you find yourself staying at home on Sunday mornings, not connected to a body of Christ, which means you aren't actually hearing Christ because the other ideas aren't present. Third, we, never, we must trust the Holy Spirit to work in surprising and remarkable ways. You know, after the debate that's happening in the early church, we get to verse 28. For it seemed good to the, did you pick up on it? The Holy Spirit and to us. That's the confirmation. The Holy Spirit spoke. The community confirmed it. Uh, the community of the leaders confirmed it there. And Peter then announces it to the church. We must understand that this issue caused a major personal clash between two great titans of the early church. This hard conversation actually finds itself 
weaving into every conversation of Paul's letters. And yet in this moment, we're told that when they surrendered, the Holy Spirit worked in surprising and remarkable ways. Don't lose hope. Don't give up. Don't refuse to surrender. Expect the Holy Spirit to change the other person, but expect the Holy Spirit to also change you, right? We don't get to go into conversation and say, hey, Johnny sees different than me, but, you know, like Beth sees the same like me, so help Johnny see like Beth and me. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. Because you know what? Whenever I seek the Holy Spirit about stuff, I often find myself as convicted about something as other people that I'm praying for. And so when we pray together in community, that's an Anabaptist core value, right? Always expect that the Holy Spirit will change the other person, but he's also going to change you if you are truly listening to it. We must trust the Holy Spirit to work in surprising and remarkable ways. And lastly... Uh, Second to last here. In a community, we have a call and a commandment to pursue unity. We've talked about this the first couple weeks, right? Like, Paul tells the church in Corinth, you guys got to live and love. Here we see that we got to discern in the Holy Spirit. The thing that we know is all of these disciples are acting out of that prayer Jesus had for his followers that we looked at in the first couple verses, right? The leaders of the church knew that they needed to pursue discernment because it was a call and a prayer in which God put over them and declared over them. John 17, Jesus looked at them and realized they weren't getting along. And he said, I pray not only for these disciples, but all who will ever believe in me because of them. I pray that they will be one. Jesus knew we'd always struggle with hard conversations. In a community, we have a call and a commandment. Both from the examples that we've looked at and from, our, from this prayer of Jesus to pursue unity. Finally, the Holy Spirit can create unity where it once seemed impossible. That's our affirmation this week. In fact, I, I didn't, I'd invite you to say it with me, right? Let's say it together. The Holy Spirit can create unity where it once seemed impossible. Let's affirm that. Let's believe it. We see the proof of it in this story, and I'm sure others of us could tell our own stories. This story reminds us that if we are listening, the Holy Spirit will bring unity to his people. We must remember to approach hard conversations in the church with the idea that we want to hear other viewpoints, that we are honoring the difference of their viewpoints, and with the reality that we are willing to change if the Holy Spirit calls us to. We must always have that willingness. If you are approaching a conversation without that, you aren't approaching it with the Holy Spirit. We must stop bringing our pride, our need to be right, our comfort, our traditions, and our hammer of unity. We must approach things with open hands rather than closed hands. And we'll see the Holy Spirit do mightily things. Hard conversations should not be avoided. They are not a sign of dishealth. Do not avoid them. Do not compartmentalize your thoughts. However, do not fight with people over your preference or your comfort. Deal with the theological issues. Like, is the authority of Jesus what the issue is, or is it because, you know, they don't dress the way we're happy with? Do not leave or shut down because the church isn't an echo chamber of people who think like you. Do not believe that unity needs to be us all thinking, acting, and smelling alike together. We're not all shopping at the same deodorant store. We don't need to all shop at the same theological store either. But there are core things that we need to hold together. 
We have a confession of faith. We have visions and we have values. And that's the things that we will not bend on. Those are the things that are our glue that hold us together. We must be careful not to be influenced by outside influencers. We must pray for the leaders of the church who are discerning things, both at a denominational level and local level. We must listen to the Holy Spirit together to see how the Holy Spirit leads us forward. We must learn to kind of find ourselves uh, to learn what God and the Holy Spirit is doing in the life of somebody that you're at odds with so you can bless it in them. That's what this letter was all about. It wasn't comma, but it was, we know God's doing great stuff with you so much. We even said these prophetic dudes, and prophetic dudes at that time were used as blessings because they'd show up and they'd be like, wow, man, I just love how you care about other people, and I can see that, and God likes that. And prophetic people would do stuff like that, and then all of a sudden the community would be really joyous. And so it was this physical way of responding. By the way, that was really true. God really does like how you uh, love people. Find ways to put flesh on what the Holy Spirit is leading you to do in light of discernment. We affirm that the Holy Spirit can bring us together. As we do that, though, we also realize there are times that we are still at odds with each other. There are times in which we all want unity, but one of us can't stop digging our heels in. And as a result, stuff still gets real. It's still tense. In that, let's remember four values. We long for unity. And though we pray for unity in the church, we know sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. And there are times when someone's conscience requires them to break fellowship or separate from others. This is a sad reality. And if it happens, we must pray for grace and healing in those situations. Secondly, we surrender. The truth is, in a hard conversations, you may well be wrong. It's amazing how things that at one point seem like insurmountable barriers, but can be resolved over time. Real faith is trusting God in the moments that we don't see a way forward. If we can find the faith to pray for a sick person, then maybe, just maybe, we can find the faith to pray for unity in somebody that's at odds too. Third, we discern. It's always helpful to ask and discern the questions, what differences does this disagreement actually make in relationship and ministry. Is that a preference or is that a theological difference? Is the authority of Jesus questioned or do I just have to not look at somebody for a day? Even if we can't see a way forward, we can delay separation as we deal with conversations like this long enough to give the Holy Spirit more time to work in the hearts of both people and to do its unifying work. Lastly, we honor It is always important to find ways to honor and bless the work of the Holy Spirit if and where you see it in the life of the other person, even if the person is completely in the wrong. We should never speak to or about them in dishonoring or dismeaning ways. In fact, it is evil or it's evil to attack or to talk about others behind their back or to set up things like we're pretending to care for them, but we really have these issues with them, right? Hey, we, we really like you, but uh, um, John over there, uh, he's not like us. And I, I care for him, but, but he's, he's just not doing what, what we want. That's evil. That's not honoring. So as the worship team comes forward, I leave with you 1 Corinthians 1.10. This is my encouragement to you, but it is also my prayer to you. 
I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there will be no divisions among you, but you will be perfectly united in mind and thought. And we do that by finding ourselves surrendered to the Holy Spirit.